The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. In the early days, thousands were spared the horrors of the Holocaust by taking refuge in enormous underground shelters known as vaults. But when they emerged, they had only the hell of the wastes to greet them. All except those in Vault 101. For on that fateful day, when fire rained from the sky, the giant steel door of Vault 101 slid closed and never reopened. It was here you were born. It is here you will die. Because in Vault 101, no one ever enters. And no one ever leaves. For many of us, Vault 101 was our first vault. This is the vault you start in, in Fallout 3. I know it was for me. I hadn't played Fallout 1 or Fallout 2, and Fallout 3 was a good place for me to start, being that I had uh, recently played Elder Scrolls Oblivion, a game also by Bethesda, and was interested in what this Fallout game was all about. I remember watching that intro video and the music. There's something about the music in these games that really stands out, that really sets the tone, the seriousness of it all. And I know some people, you know, they get on Fallout 76 for its flaws. And, and one of the things they like to pick at is the silly nature of everything, the silly uh, skins and things that you can buy, the silliness of, of just the uh, events and some of that stuff. And, and that stuff's fun. Don't get me wrong. That stuff's fun. But there's definitely something about the darker, more serious tones in these games that I find even more compelling. And you can hear in that intro, that's the end of the intro from Fallout 3, where it talks about Vault 101. And the, the dark tone about no one ever enters. No one ever leaves. And as we know, that's not exactly true. Now, I don't know how much time you spent in Fallout 3 trying to understand the vault you came from. To me, that wasn't one of the main draws of the game. I was more interested in the world, 
in the strange cities and communities I came across, in the strange creatures, the strange items and weapons, the events that were unfolding, where my father went and what this water situation was all about, and then eventually who the enclave were and who the brotherhood was and what was going on between them. So I have a feeling that if, you, if you're like me at all, that you may have skipped over some of the lore behind Vault 101. And it's actually pretty interesting. I'm drawing again from the Gamepedia.com article about Fallout 3 and specifically Vault 101. And here it, it gives a really nice condensed layout of the events that happened. You see, things started like normal with most of the vaults. It was built sometime in the 2060s, most likely uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, and it had a very specific purpose. This vault was supposed to remain indefinitely sealed, never to be opened. The overseer was supposed to be the one who knew that this was the purpose of the vault. And the information presented to the dwellers in the vault was always supposed to basically brainwash them into believing that the world out there is not safe and that they have to stay in the vault for the rest of their lives and that everyone who comes after them, they have to stay in the vault also. No one's to ever leave. No one's to ever enter. The world is an absolutely terrible place. Now, in order to make sure that this happened, the vault was supplied with all the equipment they would need, everything to function indefinitely, spare parts for water processors, computer systems, replacement parts for everything that they would need, except for a GEC. And I've talked about these before, the Garden of Eden Creation Kit. Because they weren't supposed to go back to the surface, and a GEC is supposed to be used on the surface in order to make the world re-inhabitable. So let's dig in here. It says, in the early years, the first Vault 101 overseer, like his counterparts in other vaults, was actually a planted Vault Tech operative whose job it was to control the experiment from the inside. Aside from maintaining the fiction that the outside world was not habitable, ruse, after the vault was populated and sealed when the Great War took place. The overseer was meant to cultivate the isolationism, preventing anyone from leaving the shelter and using faked radio transmissions to convince them of the folly of doing so. These radio transmissions were actually created before the vault opened. They were created by Vault Tech in order to play as if they were coming from the wasteland for the dwellers to hear absolutely terrible, horrible things about the way the world was outside the vault in order to make them believe that they should never leave. And what's interesting is the, the faked radio transmissions were actually worse than the world actually was. And we know the world is pretty bad. So the information on those tapes must have been absolutely frightening. So much so that it would make nobody ever want to leave the vault. 
So the second Vault 101 overseer took over the reins after the death of his predecessor in uh, 2127 of Natural Causes. He maintained and developed the isolationist doctrine, convincing senior vault dwellers to become complicit in the vault experiment. So now some more people are starting to understand that this is an experiment. Those people who have been in the vault for the longest amount of time. And this makes sense to me. It's hard to hold a secret for an entire lifetime. It's hard to hold something from people who are smart enough to maybe figure some things out. And it seems like some people were beginning to question. So the second overseer brought them in on the experiment. So the second Vault 101 overseer was actually able to communicate with and even visit the outside world by using the secret tunnel in the overseer's office. However, for all other intents and purposes, the vault dwellers were sealed in with the motto, we are born in the vault, we live in the vault, and we die in the vault. Although the fiction was maintained by his descendants, there was a deviation. In 2241, and this is much closer to the time of the game, the new overseer decided to send scouting parties to the outside and open the vault. This breaks the experiment. It was intended uh, for the vault overseer to be able to leave the vault if necessary. That's why that escape hatch, that secret tunnel, was in the overseer's office. But to actually open the vault itself and send parties out into the wasteland was never part of the plan. The survey team led by Ann Palmer left the vault in February and reconnoitered, that's a good word, the ruins of Springvale and the Megaton settlement. You guys remember Megaton, the, the village that had built up around the unexploded nuke? Bringing back giant ant samples to the vault for analysis. Most of the team returned on February 10th, 2241, logging their reports. Lewis and Agnes Taylor, two other members, remained in Megaton to serve as contacts between the two settlements and to further survey the surrounding environments, but later eventually returned to the vault. Now, things began to change after this phase, I guess you'd say, of the history of, of Vault 101. So the progressive overseer had disappeared on an excursion into the wasteland between 2241 and 2258, sometime between that timeline. He was succeeded at his post by Alphonse Almodovar, Almo, Almodovar, maybe a firm believer in the need to maintain total isolation of the vault. Thanks to his parents, who were convinced that the vault should have no contact with the dangers out there. Many suspected foul play, but they had little choice but to accept Almodovar's leadership. The new overseer immediately set out to correct the perceived lapses in security. Vault 101 was sealed again, and the senior vault dwellers were sworn to secrecy. There was basically a clampdown on information and knowledge about the outside world. However, the isolation wasn't perfect. Between 2258 and 2259, the overseer made an exception to fill the post of vault physician. He allowed an educated wastelander 
and his child to enter the vault, swearing the man to maintain secrecy and raise the child as if they were born in the vault. Now, can you guess who that was? Between 2265 and 2267, a female vault dweller escaped from the vault, reaching Megaton, though her whereabouts and fates were ultimately never discovered. Another escaped in 2272, revealing to Colin Moriarty. Now, Colin was the crime boss in Megaton, the one who ran the bar. That Vault 101 was essentially brainwashing its residents. So some of this may sound more familiar because this starts to really catch up with where we are at the beginning of the game. And life under Almodovar was not necessarily pleasant, which is why some of the things were being experienced, I guess, the the difficulties and one of the reasons why James, your father in the game, decides to leave. But it says here that within the vault, life was stifled by Almodovar's firm grip on the community and brainwashing. With a strong, omnipresent security force, the overseer instituted a cult of personality focused on him alone as the protector and wise leader of the vault. Again, this seems very common. These types of steps are often used by leaders to sway the masses. I'm the only one who knows. I'm the only one who can protect you. This is all the information. Other information is either wrong or is illegal. The limitations of information are always a danger. So it goes on, it says, James's outsider origin was a problem for, for Al Motivar, one he sought to fix by assigning him Jonas Palmer as an assistant. And you may remember Jonas from the game. This decision would ultimately prove to be wrong. Another problem were the tunnel snakes, the gang of juvenile delinquents. Yeah, tunnel snakes rule. You remember them? While the overseer used them for dirty work, his permissiveness resulted in them becoming unruly and quite disturbing. However, overall, Alphonse Almodovar managed to cultivate an entire generation of Vault 101 dwellers, playing along with the Vault experiments, keeping the secrets from their children. He and his cronies continued to receive periodic information from the outside world. I like that he uses the word cronies here also. While those not in the know were told that things had gotten so bad that whoever was sending transmissions was no longer able to do so, reinforcing the thought that leaving the vault was sheer suicide. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Hey, Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders, this is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I just wanted to jump in here before we get to the rest of the episode and talk about James and the Lone Wanderer and the, the final crisis for the Vault. Uh, but I just want to jump in and say thank you for tuning in and welcome again to the show. I do appreciate you guys every week uh, listening and interacting and, you know, hanging out on the discord and sending me notes on Twitter and in emails and those kinds of things. I always appreciate it. As usual, we will get to call outs for new patrons and 
reviews on Apple Podcasts at the end of the month during our patron-only episode, which is going to be jam-packed this uh, this month, and it'll be really close to New Year's when we do it. So should be a lot of fun. We are actually considering doing like an after dark adults only kind of uh, podcasts where we can use language and talk about some of the uh, more deeper disturbing things uh, more openly. So that should be a lot of fun. If you want to get involved with that, check out Patreon Patreon patreon.com slash fallout lorecast tier four patrons and higher can join us the, for that month, if you subscribe just at that month for tier four, then you're welcome to join us for the patron call and you can get to be on the show. Otherwise, there are lots of other tiers and everything from tier one. Most of the most of the prizes, most of the rewards start at tier one because I just want to give you guys as much as I possibly can for helping support the show. So tier one, you get no ads, you get into the patron only discord and some other stuff. So go check that out. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that stuff. Uh, one other note of housekeeping before we dive back in my schedule is changing i am getting a chance to focus more and more on podcasting and growing the robots radio network so that means that i should have a new schedule figured out sometime in the next few weeks for how i'm getting these these this content done and what i'm doing with things like live streams and i may actually get to live stream during the day sometimes which should be super fun sometimes i'll still do it in the evenings but i would love to hang out with you guys during the day and of course uh, you're more than welcome to jump in a live stream, pick my brain about some lore topics or share some ideas and theories that you have. I would love to get your insight and chat with you live about some of this stuff. So if you're interested in that, uh, twitch.tv slash robots radio. And also I'm going to have some videos up on the robots radio YouTube. So you can always search that as well. All the links are in the show notes. So, so let's get back to what else is going on with vault 101. So uh, at some point, you guys know this, the game starts and your father leaves. And it's really interesting here. His name's James. He was the uh, basically the doctor of the vault. And he had some connections with some of the things going on outside the vault due to his previous life outside the vault. And it says here, and I, I really think this is interesting how it lays it out here in this wiki. It says here the overseer's regime 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 suffered a terrible blow on August 17th, 2277. James, the vault physician, abandoned the shelter and their child to again pursue his dream, Project Purity, bringing clean water to the wasteland. He was a physician. He was a physician who was interested in helping people in the health of the community. And he knew what it was like out there in the wasteland. And he knew how difficult it was to come across clean water. And that was his life's goal. And I have a feeling he had achieved what he needed to achieve inside the vault at this point in order to feel okay leaving his child. And if you think about it, think about what happens at the beginning of Fallout 3. You watch yourself grow up and then you get to a place where you basically graduate the schooling in Vault 101. And you take a little test in order to understand what job you're going to have in the vault. And I think that was the place where James felt like, okay, you can be on your own now. This community isn't perfect, but you will be safe here. It's about as good as it's going to get in the wasteland. 
And there's something going on where he felt like he didn't want you to follow him because it was too dangerous out there. So he had to leave you. It goes on and says, His opening of the vault door led to a radroach infestation and the overseer going berserk. And I don't think James intended either of those things. I have a feeling he was trying to make a quiet exit. The latter immediately confined all the dwellers to their quarters and ordered the security team to contain the outbreak. And this is where Almodovar goes a little bit off the rails here and shoot everyone found out of their quarters, especially the child James left behind. I think he might have thought that you were somehow involved with this, or that you could not be trusted. Or maybe he was just so bitter about bringing somebody into the vault who then created this turmoil that he was willing to off that person's offspring. That's pretty dark. The security team's actions contribute to the chaos. The rad roach infestation doesn't help. And by the time James's child escapes the vault, you, the lone wanderer, the list of casualties is quite large. And I didn't realize this at first, but, but they're right. Like this is actually very severe. And this includes Agnes Taylor from a heart attack Floyd Lewis, Vicki Hannon, Paul Hannon Jr., all three succumbed to rad roaches. Jonas Palmer, who died tortured to death by Stevie Mack, the head of the guard, and several security officers killed by rad roaches, <laughs> or by the child they were supposed to detain for questioning, depending on if you shot them in self-defense or if the rad roaches took them out. And I hadn't thought about that, but that's very dark. That is a lot of individuals who die from rad roaches. It's kind of crazy. You think that maybe in that kind of situation, keeping the people in the vault more prepared for a situation like that with as scary as the outside world is, that they might have been able to defend themselves a little bit better. But it didn't happen that way. Now, this event led to a crisis that unraveled in a very interesting way. It says here that the double escape, that's you and your father, and subsequent loss of life did no wonders to the situation in the vault. Quite the opposite. A faction of dwellers formed demanding that Vault 101 be opened to begin interacting with the outside world, set up trade relationships, and allow the dwellers to come and go. Led by Amada Almodovar, this faction was opposed to her father, Alphonse, and his security force, who saw this as a threat to the vault's, quote, great mission. vault would have been really proud <laughs> of Almodovar. His opposition was made stronger by the fact that he was contacted by the Enclave on a governmental frequency who offered the vault amnesty for unspecified crimes and reunification because they were unable to act unevil unable to access the vault man words are hard today guys as amada changed the access password you may remember amada she was one of the kids you grew up with in the vault almodovar her father ignored the request treating it as confirmation of his isolationist policy 
which is very ironic because you would think that somebody who is doing Vault-Tex bidding would be a little bit more aware of the nature of the Enclave, but he wasn't because the only instructions left to him were passed down by other isolationists from the time before the vault was closed. So you can see how he would not not necessarily be trusting of the Enclave. So the rebellious movement did not subside, and to the contrary, it grew, eventually sealing themselves up in part of the vault, demanding the overseer's resignation. While the overseer wanted to sit them out and wait until they voluntarily gave up, his security chief wasn't going to. Instead, he planned a midnight raid into the rebel quarters with live ammunition and zero tolerance to subdue the movement by force. Fearing that the conflict couldn't be resolved otherwise, Amada issued a call on the Vault 101 emergency frequency, calling the Lone Wanderer, you, now an experienced wastelander, to return to Vault 101 and help them. They may have resolved the crisis, either supporting the opening of the vault to the outside world or championing the isolation policy, effectively dooming the vault to die due to a dwindling gene pool. That was your choice. What neither side of the conflict was aware of, the conflict that occurred when the vault dwellers came became aware of the habitability of the world outside and rebelled against the overseer and his policies of isolationism was, in fact, the final part of the grand social experiment in Vault 101. Now, you guys know me by this point. You've probably been listening since uh, some of the very early episodes of the show. And you know I like to bring some sort of psychological or philosophical bent to bend, bent, uh, whatever the word is, to, <laughs> to the topic here. And I think the topic of Vault 101 is willful ignorance. There's this idea that by pretending that the monsters don't go bump in the night, that there are no monsters, that we will be safe. And I have a feeling that Almodovar's interest in isolationism was a combination of uh, some brainwashing he went through as a young person, wanting to stay true to the role of the overseer and those kinds of things. But seeing the way that he responds during a crisis makes me believe that most of his actions are motivated by fear. And one way that humans handle fear is through willful ignorance, which is, in my perspective, analogous to when you were three years old and you hid your head under a pillow and thought that you became invisible to everyone else who saw you (laughs) because you couldn't see them. They couldn't see you. And that's just not the way the world works. I guess the life lesson here is the things that you're afraid of, don't deny that they're out there. Take a look at them in the face. Be aware of what they are. And be willing to adjust. Be willing to prepare. Be willing and brave enough as scary as they might be, to take them on directly. And that's the main difference here between somebody like Alphonse, 
and we'll just call him Alphonse from from now on because it's such a fancy name. And James. James understood the wasteland. He grew up in the wasteland. He lived for years among people with their heads stuffed willfully of their own choice or by others under a pillow and unwilling to see or unable to see what the real world was actually like. But James decides to do something about it. Given the opportunity to live in the safety, quote unquote, of Vault 101 for the rest of his life and raise a child, he willingly leaves to brave the wasteland in pursuit of a better future for everyone, to take on the monsters directly. That's bravery. Bravery is not being afraid. Bravery is being afraid and going anyway. And we know how this works out. James doesn't survive, but you do. And you have the option to carry forward his dreams and his goals in the world. And even if ultimately none of this makes a shred of difference to everyone else involved, there's something about being in the moment and actually living life in spite of your fears that is more valuable than anything else. Even if Project Purity never comes to fruition, a shorter, well-lived life, isn't that much more valuable than a life of safety where you don't do anything of note ever? Which one would you rather have? Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon.